good morning. It's uh, really nice to be able to uh, be here today and to share with you uh, from God's Word as we uh, meet together. Since it's only two weeks since Christmas, I thought I'd bring along my most unexpected Christmas gift. It's something that I got from the Secret Santa at work. Some of you know I work at the Baptist Union of Victoria office, and yes, the Baptist Union of Victoria office believes in Santa. And uh, we have Secret Santa who comes to our Christmas party. And uh, Santa brought me this. Now, you might be looking at that from a distance and wondering what it is. Let me tell you, this is an Amazon Echo Dot. Something that I never thought I would need. And yet, uh, Secret Santa kindly gave it to me. Now, I am not a uh, tech head. I'm not someone who's an early adopter of technology at all. So, when I opened this gift, I thought, I have absolutely no idea what that is, and I have even less idea of what on earth I'm meant to do with it. But I've gone away, and over the last two weeks, done a little bit of exploring, and I've discovered that if it's switched on, and I hope it's not still on today, I don't think it is, but uh, if I say anywhere in my home, Alexa, and then I ask any kind of random question, this little thing will answer all my questions. And uh, so we have been having some really good, deep conversations over uh, the last two weeks about the meaning of life and uh, what's it all about, Alexa, and all those kind of things. And uh, what I've discovered Alexa can also do is play kind of any song I think of on request. And to be honest, that's pretty much all I've done with it, other than asking my strange random questions. And so I've found myself over the last few weeks listening to all kinds of music and listening to a whole lot more music than I normally listen to. And as I've done that, I've kind of been reminded again that songs have a way of evoking memories and that songs often uh, speak to us um, about... You know, all kinds of images. When we hear a particular song, something comes to mind. And I'm sure that's true for you, that if we were to go around the congregation this morning, there would be people who would say, yep, this is one of my songs. And whenever you hear that song, might be a hymn, might just be some other song, might be, you know, some little jingle from years ago. And uh, you hear it, and it evokes some thoughts and memories. Well, um, one of my favourite musicals is, in fact, my favourite musical is Les Miserables, Les Mis. I think it's a great musical, great songs, amazing story and all of that. And so I've watched it numerous times. And if you know that musical, you know that one of the really big hit songs from that musical is I Dreamed a Dream. And I'm not going to sing it to you this morning. You'll be pleased to know if you know me at all. I'm a hopeless singer. So I'm not going to uh, wreck that song. But think about that song, you know, I dreamed a dream of times gone by, you know how it goes. And uh, I guess that song, for many people when they hear it, they think of Susan Boyle. You know, that funny Scottish lady and her uh, massively viral uh, audition on uh, Britain's Got Talent. And, but when I hear that song, I dreamed a dream, what it evokes in my mind and has done now for several years is that passage in John chapter 4 that David read to us just a few minutes ago. That story of the encounter between Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well. 
Now, the character in Les Mis who sings this song is a young woman called Fantine. And if you know the story, Fantine is someone who's had a pretty tough life. And along the way, she's been used and abused by various men. And uh, when we get to this point in the story where she's going to sing this song, at least in the movie, you know, she's a single mum. And uh, she's struggling. She's just lost her job. She's been kind of cast out. And she's had to sell her hair and then her teeth and then herself in order to fund herself and support her child. So it's a very tragic kind of scene. And the lyrics of that song really express Fantine's anguish about her situation. And she sings about how she's dreamed of love and life, but then it's all gone wrong. You know, she had her summer days with some men, and then they left her when the autumn came. And uh, she talks about her hopes being torn apart, about her dream turning to her shame. And yet, she's still longing, as we get to the end of the song, she's longing that uh, he will come and that she will find the life and the love that she so desires. And I reckon Fantine's song could have been sung by the woman at the well. I reckon it captures her so well. And uh, she was a woman who, you know, we know as we read on in the story that she had had five marriages, you know, and presumably in each of those, the husbands, we don't know whether they died or not, but that's unlikely that five died, you know, so it's likely that men were with her for a while and then they discarded her. Then she found another man, and then it happened again, and it happened again, and it happened again, and finally she was with a bloke who wouldn't even marry her. And uh, she's, I think, coming with some of that anguish as she comes to this well. She's thirsty for love, this woman. She's longing to belong and to be accepted. And so we meet her today as we go through this series of encounters with Jesus. We see his encounter with this woman, this woman at the well. And I think this encounter is perhaps the most surprising one of all. Earlier in John chapter 3, we had a kind of a regular encounter that you would expect a Jewish Messiah, you know, Jesus, to be having as you're reading through a gospel about him. It's an encounter in chapter 3 with a man called Nicodemus. He has it at night. They're having a conversation in the evening in the heart of Jerusalem, you know, the Jewish capital. And uh, Nicodemus is a pious Jewish man. He's a Pharisee. He's a teacher. He's a member of the Jewish council and so on. And so you kind of expect that Jesus would meet with such a man as this. And John tells us that they talked about some really deep spiritual things. where Jesus revealed some truth about himself to Nicodemus, where Jesus pointed Nicodemus to a life with God that was beyond mere religion and mere kind of philosophical knowledge, but he talks about this life that's really about deep relationship with God, a real heart-to-heart relationship with God. Talks to Nicodemus about being born again, born afresh, born anew into a whole new life, a whole new experience of God. That's John chapter 3. And that's the kind of stuff you would expect the Jewish Messiah to be engaged in, isn't it? You know, with a highly respectable Jewish leader talking about deep things, talking about the things of God and so on, and they have this deep conversation there in John chapter 3. But I think what's surprising when we get into John chapter 4 is that Jesus has a very similar conversation with a very different person and in a very different place. 
John sets the scene for us, if you're following in your Bible, in verses 3 through to 6. Jesus and the disciples have left Jerusalem at this point. They're making their way back to Galilee. And the normal way that Jews traveled or anyone traveled from Jerusalem to Galilee was to go through the area of Samaria. Now, we find that Jesus, as he's walking through Samaria with his disciples, it's presumably a warm day. He is tired from the journey. And so Jesus sits down by a famous well to have a rest. And it's a well, incidentally, that archaeologists think is still there today and that they've been able to identify. Now, the thing to know about this is not the well, but it's the area. It's Samaria. That's where the surprise is. Because Samaria was kind of badlands for uh, Jewish people. John tells us in verse 9 that Jews didn't associate with Samaritans. Samaria was the kind of place where if you were driving, you'd wind the windows up and you'd lock the door. All right? And you'd just say, we're just going to get through here and we'll stop on the other side. All right? It was that kind of area for a Jew. Yes, you had to go through it or it was incredibly inconvenient to go around a really long way and up mountains and down them and so on. So the, the normal way to go was through Samaria, but it wasn't a place you really wanted to be. And so we find Jesus sitting in this place and we're told, well, Jews don't associate with Samaritans. And the reason for that was, well, there'd been a history of animosity between the Jews and the Samaritans. And there were several reasons for that. One was that the Jews saw the Samaritans as basically um, racially impure. The Samaritans were people who had been Israelites in the Old Testament, part of the Ten Tribes, but then when the Assyrians had invaded, they had intermarried with them and had interbred. And so they were, you might say, a mongrel breed. All right, so if you were a Jew, you might look on and say, you Samaritans, you mongrels, all right? You weren't purebred like us with our great, you know, heritage all the way back, um, you know, traced back to Abraham and so on. These people were of a mixed breed, and so the Jews kind of looked down on them somewhat. But also the Samaritans were considered to be religious heretics because they only accepted the first five books of what we call the Old Testament, so Genesis and so on but not the rest of it. And they had also set up their own temple. So rather than going into Jerusalem to worship, the Samaritans worshipped at Mount Gerizim. They built their own on this mountain. And again, we, we understand that you can see that mountain from this well. Okay, so, you know, because of their dodgy beliefs and their mongrel heritage, Jews did not associate with Samaritans. And there was... It's very significant, even armed conflict between the two groups over the centuries. Added to that kind of geographic issue and the uh, racial issue, we have a gender issue in this encounter between Jesus and this woman. John even notes in verse 27 that when the disciples who'd gone off to get food came back to the well, they were surprised to find Jesus talking to a woman. Why were they surprised to find Jesus talking to a woman? Because the rabbis had, a lot of rabbis had a tradition of not talking to women in public. Some rabbis wouldn't even talk to their own wives in public. Not every Jew held that belief, but that was quite a common practice, and particularly among the rabbi teacher set, which is kind of how the disciples were looking at Jesus. So it was quite surprising, shocking indeed, for them to come back from the village and find Jesus talking to this woman. And talking to this woman 
was particularly surprising and risky because as we go on in the story, we can see that this woman was actually a woman of some shame and notoriety in her village. Right? Her neighbours looked down on this woman. We know that because she came to the well at noon to get water, and John tells us she came alone. All the other women in the village would have come as a group in the early hours of the morning or in the cool of the evening. As the old song says, only mad dogs and Englishmen go out in the midday sun. Right? But so do people who are too ashamed or too condemned by others to go with a group. So this woman goes out to the well when she thinks no one else will be there. So this is a woman who's living in shame. For her neighbours, she was that woman. You can imagine it in the village, can't you? It's that woman. That woman's doing this. Who's that woman living with now? What's that woman doing with that fella? She was a woman of controversy and scandal and shame. And yet, in his gospel, John devotes almost a whole chapter to Jesus' conversation with this woman, with that woman. You know, fancy God in the flesh, God's truth personified in Jesus, being revealed in that place to that woman. This is a surprising and striking encounter that we read about in John chapter 4. And I think John gives it a whole chapter because he wants to highlight that there's no place and no person that is beyond the truth and love of God. I think John is making a subtle point here that no place and no person is God forsaken. That no matter who you are, what you've done, where you've been, or where you are as we enter this new year, you are not beyond the love and the truth of God. You're not out of his sight. You're not off his agenda. You're not off his itinerary. God meets with all kinds of people in all kinds of places. Even a shameful woman in Samaria. God is there in Jesus. And I think John's really wanting us to get that point. And you know, it's telling us that well, God is prepared to meet with us. God is prepared to invite us into life and love with him, whoever we are, wherever we are. As we read in John chapter 3, it's part of, probably part of Jesus' statement to Nicodemus, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Whoever, whether you're a respectable Nicodemus a shameful Samaritan woman, or you or me. We are not beyond the love and the life of God. This is the wonder 
of this encounter. This is a message that Jesus shared, not only with Nicodemus, but with the woman. And that as we got to the end of the passage, we heard she was so excited by it that she ran off and told all her neighbors about it as well. And it's a passage for us to hear and for us to share with people as well. And it's a message that's all about who Jesus is. Did you hear that? God sent his son. That's who Jesus is. And what God gives us through him, life, life with God, now and forever. Jesus puts it this way in John chapter 4, verse 10. And I think this verse is really kind of the crux, the the center point, if you like, the, the big news of this passage. He says to the woman, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. To hear he's talking about You would have asked this giver, you would have asked me, Jesus is saying, you'd know that I am the giver from God, and you would have, and I would have given you the gift from from God, this life that I have for you. And as I say, this is the crux of this passage, and it's something that Jesus keeps coming back to time and again through the conversation. The conversation kind of goes here and there, but Jesus keeps steering it back to these two things, who he is and what gift he's bringing from God. And I reckon that this is important for us to notice as we think about being on mission in our community as well. That there's all kinds of things we might get involved in, all kinds of conversations we could have, all kinds of things we could say to people. But let's make sure we keep central and keep coming back to who Jesus is and what gift God has for us through Jesus. This is the crux of the matter, isn't it? Just as it was there at the well. So what does Jesus talk about then? Who he is and what he gives. And God's gift that he talks about as he explains to this woman, he talks about it probably because they're at a well, in terms of living water, which can be translated leaping water. Right? It's water that's kind of alive, that's springing up, that's bubbling, that's flowing. Right? He's not talking about living water in terms of it's got lots of bugs in it. All right, it's not stale, sort of algae-ridden water. That's alive, but in the wrong way. When Jesus is living water, it's not that it's wriggling, it's that it's gushing. All right, it's flowing. You get the picture, it's a gushing fountain of water is what he's talking about. And he uses that here as an image of life, the kind of life that God wants to give us. And he talks about this in terms of the Spirit of God. And what he's really saying is, hey, the gift I'm bringing you is that you can know God alive in you and you being alive to God. Right? So not just doing life, but doing life with God. Having God in you and you being alive to him. This is what Jesus says he's come to offer this woman. This is the living water that he promises. And it's clear that he gives this through his son, Jesus. Right, Because he says to her, if you knew who was asking you, you would have been asking me, lady, for this water, for this life that God has for you. And he keeps coming back to this in conversation. So let's very quickly walk through this conversation in John chapter 4 and just see how Jesus keeps the focus here. Initially in verses 11 to 12, the woman's heard his talk about this water and she's pretty skeptical about his promised water. And why wouldn't she be? Archaeology tells us the well was probably 30 meters deep. That's how deep the well that's there today is. Jesus didn't even have a bucket. 
So the woman says, hey, mate, how are you going to get water out of that well? You haven't even got a bucket. And besides that, this is a woman who's had experience with men who talk big. You know? She's had five fellas already who promised her the world and gave her dust. Okay? So it's not surprising that she would say, hey, Jewish bloke, who do you think you are? Pull the other one, mate. You know? You can big talk all about this living water, never thirsting, all this sort of stuff. I've heard talk like this before. I'll love you forever. I'm the man of your dreams. I'll take you to paradise, baby. Right? He's, she's had people do all that smooth talk to her before. So what's this bloke at the well on about? She's come across his type many times. So how does Jesus respond to her dismissal? Well, he clarifies that he isn't talking about this well and he's not on about the material kind of stuff that she thinks he is. He's offering her something for her soul. He's offering her something that's going to satisfy her deepest inner thirst. And he calls it eternal life. And in John 17, verse 3, so later in John's Gospel, that's defined for us as knowing God, relationship with God, now and forever. So Jesus is saying, that's what I'm on about here. Still, the woman doesn't get it, right? Because it's hard to get, isn't it? I mean, you're sitting at a well in the middle of the day, and some man turns up and starts banging on about eternal life, you kind of think, I don't know what you're on about, mate. I know guys, you know, are full of it, but I don't know, you know, what you're on about here, right? I'm just trying to work you out. And so she says, okay, then give me this special water that means I never get thirsty and I never have to keep coming back to this well. That'd be nice. Endless thirst-quenching water on tap in my kitchen. Yes, I'll say yes to that, Jesus. Give me that stuff. Well, Jesus says, obviously he thinks to himself, I'm going to have to go deeper with this woman. Right? She's just not getting that. We're on a good track here, but we're not there yet. And so he says to her, go and call your husband and come back. Now, here's the question. Why did Jesus, who we soon learned knew supernaturally that this woman had five, had had five husbands and now was living with a bloke who wasn't her husband. Why does Jesus say to her, go and get your husband? I reckon our answer to that reveals something about how we see God and how we reckon God relates to us. And I reckon our answer to this question about why does Jesus ask that question, I reckon it says something maybe about how we approach people on mission as well. You know, I used to read this passage and and this question that what Jesus was doing was saying, well, enough of the red herrings and the diversions. Let's get right to the heart of the matter. Let's talk about your sin and your guilt. And that's what he wants to talk about. He says, that's what I want to talk about. Your sin. You're living with this guy. You've had all these relationships. And he wants to do that so that she would be open to hearing about God's forgiveness. But if you look at the passage, the passage doesn't say anything about sin or about forgiveness, does it? The focus in this passage is not on her sin, it's on her thirst. It's on her thirst for acceptance and love. It's for her desire for relationship. And I think that's what Jesus wants to bring up to the surface here. 
because that's the level at, what, that it, at which he wants to talk to this woman. He wants to engage at her point of pain and need, at her thirst for relationship with God and for others, for her thirst for love. That's what Jesus is wanting to highlight here. And it seems to me that some of our struggle with mission these days is that we see people primarily as sinners in need of forgiveness, and that's what they are. That's what we all are. But what we find, I think, is that a lot of people in our community don't have any sense of guilt because they don't see God as holding up a standard that they need to comply with, and therefore they don't see themselves as falling short of any standard, therefore they don't feel guilty, therefore when we come and say to them, oh, you probably feel really guilty, I want to tell you how you can find forgiveness, and they kind of say, that is completely irrelevant to us. Right? It's a bit like if somebody tried to sell me one of these, I would have said, I have absolutely no need for that, but you seem like a very nice person, but be on your way, right? Now, that's very much what happens to us often in mission, isn't it? That we think people are longing to hear how their guilt can be dealt with, but they don't feel that guilt. But they do feel thirst. People do have longings for things. And perhaps we would be more effective in our mission if we focused less on what is wrong with people as we look at them, and we perhaps paid more attention to what are they thirsting for? What are their longings and their needs? <clears throat> and then how might God satisfy their thirst? Excuse me. all that talk about thirst, isn't it? <coughs> so how might God satisfy their thirst? I invite you to experiment with that approach to mission for a bit. As you're engaging with people, <coughs> excuse me, as you're engaging with people, don't focus on what you think is wrong with them. Focus on what they're thirsty for. What are they longing for? And how can you be a drinks waiter who brings them the water from God that will quench their thirst? That's mission, isn't it? What's the thirst? What have I got? What can God bring to this person? How can I connect this person with God that they might drink of his life and love? We're back to our conversation, and in verse 19, the woman now sees that Jesus isn't talking about water. Now she knows this guy's on about something deeper than this. He's on about spiritual stuff. He's brought up this whole issue of my relationship challenges and longings and so on. I reckon he's a prophet. And so she then raises the big religious controversy between the Jews and the Samaritans of the time, and that was where should we worship God? On this mountain, Mount Gerizim, or should we have to go all the way into Jerusalem to the Jewish temple to worship God? You're a prophet, Jesus. What do you reckon? Now, some people look at this little part of the passage, and they say she's creating a diversion. What she's saying is, I don't want to talk about my husband's my man issues, let's talk about something safe like this religious question. But I think that's actually too hard on the woman. I reckon what she does is very natural and reasonable. 
Okay? She's talking to a man who she understands has got real religious understanding, real spiritual insight. And so it's perfectly reasonable that she would say to him, what do you think about this big controversial issue that we've all been banging on about for years? What's your view on the controversy, Jesus? It's like if you're trying to work out what car you're going to buy and you're talking to a mechanic. It's perfectly reasonable, isn't it, to say, do you reckon... You know, Model A is better than Model B. That's not a diversion. That's a reasonable thing to do. If you were talking to someone who's got insight in the royal family at the moment, it would be very natural for you to say, what do you reckon about Harry and Meghan, eh? What about all those things they're saying? What do you reckon about that? That would be perfectly natural. That's not a diversion. This woman's talking to a prophet. It's perfectly reasonable that she says, what do you reckon? What's the right, where's the right place to worship God? How are we meant to do this, Jesus? And he goes with that question, all right? And he answers it, but he answers it, again, in a surprising way. First of all, contrary to those who say one religion is as good as another, he declares that the truth and life are to be found along the Jewish path and not the Samaritan one. He says, you Samaritans don't know where you're going and you've come to a dead end. The Jews, salvation comes from them. So he's saying, let's go down the Jewish route. But then he does another surprising thing. And he says, but we need to go further. Jerusalem is not the destination here. Where do we worship God? Well, not on Mount Gerizim, not, but even not in Jerusalem. Let's not limit it to that, Jesus is saying. He says, God's spirit. God's not confined to a single place. And those who worship God, they need to worship him in spirit and truth. Now, this is a very loaded phrase, spirit and truth. I think kind of what it means is that God wants us to engage with him relationally, right? Not just going through some rituals, not just turning up to a place, whether it be a church or some other site, and saying, well, hey, here I am. I'm here to worship. This is the place you worship. Good to be involved in the church, but you don't have to come to church to worship God. You don't have to say to God, which particular church should I go to to worship you? Who's got it right? Okay, because the truth that Jesus is bringing out here is, no, it's in spirit and truth. I think he's saying God wants us to engage with him relationally, but it's not some touchy-feely, random, fuzzy kind of relationship thing. He says it's about truth as well, and it's truth that's really centered in Jesus then. So what God wants is that we have a relationship with him that's centered on the truth that we see revealed in Jesus. This is the same message that Jesus had shared with Nicodemus. God doesn't want you just to stick to your traditions and your teachings, Nicodemus. You can be born again, born into this spiritual relationship with God. God wants us to move beyond mere religion and enter into deep relationship with him, doing life with him, real heart-to-heart stuff, knowing God in the deepest places, the places where we have our hopes, our dreams, and our disappointments, and our shame, and yes, our guilt, all of that, that we open that up to God. And in that deep heart, soul place, that's where we enjoy relationship with God. That's where we receive God's love, and that's where we respond to God with our love. This, Jesus, he said, that's what God wants. Not just rituals and traditions, 
but real relationship where we know he's alive to us and we're alive to him and we do life together. Jesus tells this woman who had been rejected by many people, right, the man and the villagers, maybe even herself sometimes, God says to this woman that, uh, Jesus says to this woman, God's seeking people like you. God is seeking worshippers in Jerusalem and in Samaria and here. God is seeking worshippers, people like Nicodemus, but people like this woman as well, and people like me and you. God is seeking worshippers. God is wanting, remarkably, relationship with this woman and relationship with us. Jesus is telling her here that God loved her. So many men had used and abused her. God loved her and invited her into life with him that would satisfy her deepest thirst. And what does she do in response? She drops her water jar and she races back into the village. She goes back to the people that she had done so much to try to avoid. Because now the shame's gone. And she runs in and she says, I just met a man who's amazing. This could be the Messiah, couldn't it? This is the one we've been waiting for. And because the people are so surprised by her words, obviously by the transformation they're even seeing in this woman who suddenly appeared and become gone from being the shameful one to being the messenger, the spokesperson in the town. She's God's spokeswoman to that village. Think about that transformation. From slipping out in the, di- in, in the midday sun when everyone else is sitting in the cool, she's now there in the right in the heart of things and she's announcing this news. Come and meet this man who I've just met. This could be the Messiah, the one we've been hoping for. She shares her story, and lots of people join her in coming to Jesus and into the life and love of God. Well, the question we have for today is whether we have come to God's well and drunk God's water, whoever we are. Right? That's the question. I don't, I'm not saying, do you go to church? Are you respectable? Do you know stuff? Have you come to God's well and drunk? Okay? Have you opened yourself up, your deep places, core of your being, your soul, to God and invited him in to that place and responded to him in that place, receiving his love and expressing love to him in response. This is his gift that he offers to us. If you ask him, he will give you his living water to drink. He'll give you his spirit who brings his life and love, makes you alive to him in wonderful ways, now and forever. The one who satisfies your deepest thirsts. I encourage you, let us drink God's love and God's life and let us share that with others, others around us who are thirsty.
Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you don't wait to be impressed by us, but that you draw near to us as we are and where we are. And I pray that today you would help each of us to open ourselves to you and to receive what you have for us. Help us to put our faith in Jesus. Help us to accept the truth of who he is. And help us in his name to receive from you the good gifts you have for us this day. Your love, your forgiveness, your acceptance, your joy, your peace, your hope, your healing. Father, give us these gifts of your spirit, we pray. Make us alive in you and to you. And Father, we pray that you would help us to share those gifts and this news with others. So help us to be thirst quenchers in our world to carry your truth of your living water to people around us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.